if there's a ratio of of entertainment to information in sports media, it should be more like 80-20 or 75-25. Is that fair? Pareto's inefficiency of sports media (laughs) entertainment. We're neither entertaining nor informative, so we're really just missing the boat. We're just ripping right now. (laughs) Thanks for checking out this podcast. Remember, it's presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, Target Center, or XL Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota baseball, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. And Ticket King can take care of you for out-of-town concerts, sporting events, and more. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone! Touch them all, Joe Maurer! And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. It's a beautiful game. Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. I didn't know they still had a team. That's baseball. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. So I uh, don't exactly know what's next, but uh, start uh, covering new teams. Right. See if you can build it 500 right. times 30. There you go. I was actually talking to somebody a couple months ago, and we started talking about like, well, I mean, it's cool that you're putting in all this equity, you know, covering the twins and and things like that. But what if you ever want to move? Like, you can't just become respected among twins fans and then go cover the Padres. Well, here's the thing. You could. You absolutely could. Why not? In fact, it only took you, well, three years to become respected covering the Twins. But I would argue, like, you've only really been honing in on this for, mm-hmm. you could you could do it after a year or two. Are you day. are you projecting that one day I will become respected covering the Twins? I think we're looking, peering into point. the future here. It's an accurate point. Waiting so, for that time to come. So let, me, let me rephrase that. So you've been covering the Twins <laughs> right. for a couple of years. Yes. Uh, you will become respectable, I don't know, sometime in the next decade. Hey, Padres hope. fans, uh, hope you like Five Thoughts. Right. I love the San Diego area. And the A.J. Preller takedown right. articles. <laughs> Five Thoughts on why A.J. Preller should be fired. Yeah. Uh, in fact, speaking of A.J. Preller, I found this piece on SportingNews.com. I believe it was uh, Jesse Spector who wrote this piece. And it's, it's irritating because, of course, they do the slideshow thing. I didn't realize Sporting News was a slideshow website. but There are a lot of slideshow websites. It's all about page views. But the article is ranking the 30 front offices in baseball 1 through 30. Okay. And I'll start at the top. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but I'll start at the top. Are we going to, like, nitpick 16 versus 17? No. Oh, zero okay. chance. All right. Okay. The Cubs, so the Cubs are number one. Theo Epstein, architect, I'm reading this from uh, from Jesse Spector. If Theo Epstein is the architect of the teams that break championship droughts for both the Red Sox and the Cubs, he will be a legend forever. In fact, I would argue he will be the GM legend for the next 100 years because there's just no other precedent for having an 86-year drought and a 100-some-year drought. Who would you look back to and say he's the best GM since... Dot, dot, dot. Because whoever that name Pat, is. I would say Pat Gillick is on that list. So whoever that person is for you, I can't I can't think of anyone who would stack up favorably to yeah. if they won multiple World Series in Boston and multiple World Series in Chicago. 
Number two is the Giants, and I find this one really interesting. It fits yeah, World Series, three World Series. They, I think they're going to give the Cubs and the Nationals a run for it uh, later on this season, too. But they were always sort of criticized five or six years ago when the analytics wave was taking over baseball, and the Giants and Brian Sabian were definitely not all in in that department, and they did receive some criticism for a while. The Giants are kind of falling behind the times, or they're resistant to newer forms of analysis. I'm not sure where they stand on that now, but whatever they're doing is among the best front offices in baseball. Maybe maybe that's where I'll cover because the San not Francisco, a great area, yeah. their social media following, by the way, like I'll say per capita, even though that doesn't make sense here, but uh, on a on a like per fan basis, there's no better team to follow to be a fan of than the San Francisco Giants if the way you follow baseball teams is like, through Instagram, if you follow their really? Reddit, whatever. The San Francisco Giants have been for a couple of years now the gold standard of baseball social media. So do you follow them on Instagram and, and Twitter, or what, what do you follow them on, or what have you seen them on? What should I, I – I don't follow them on anything. What should I choose? Well, pro- Instagram? Probably Instagram. Just, I mean how – about, How about just as a fan maybe? <laughs> yeah. I follow mean, them as a fan. You guys should start – the twins. You guys should start as, as part of your and Judd's uh, sort of – what would you call it? Your abstinence or whatever from the twins? The, Our the, uh, twins-free lifestyles that yeah, we're attempting to lead. A twins-free lifestyle, but you both still like baseball a lot. I fell hard off the wagon last weekend. Yeah, I saw. I that. went Sunday Fun Day. Mm. I was only there for David Ortiz, though. I swear. Sure. I was only there for David I'm, Ortiz. I'm sure and I you can were. Stop anytime I want to. I'm sure you were. But uh, I feel like the, one more thing on the Giants. They and they have a huge budget compared to most teams in baseball. It's like a top six payroll usually for sure, top ten Bay Area. Yeah, but of, cost of living, sure, on a percentage basis, sure, sure. But I feel like everyone they bring in, they bring in Jeff Samarja, they bring in Johnny, like they they nail these signings and these trades, sure. And they almost always have a lights out bullpen from sixth inning through ninth. Whether it was Brian Wilson a few years ago, Santiago Casilla, they go up and down the list, uh, and then. They've got these pillars that they've cultivated on their own, whether it's Madison Bumgarner or Buster Posey. They make savvy trades or signings for guys like Denard Span, high on base percentage guys. So they just uh, – it's hard to think of transactions. They, they cut bait at the right time on, on uh, Pablo Sandoval. It's sure hard did. to think of moves the Giants have made over the past decade where you look at and say, ooh, they whiffed on that guy big time. Fair. Yeah. So, so you're saying they're second. On, yes, on Rangers list. third, Red Sox fourth, Cardinals fifth. I'm gonna. I'm curious. So Terry Ryan was not in the top five. Um, if you want to go through the rest of the list, that's fine. No, I just want to go top five, and then I'll go to Terry Ryan. I was going to say someone could, else. You're could, curious about. Could we fast forward and see where uh, Twins general manager ranks on this list? Uh, I need to click quite a few times to get to Terry Ryan and the Twins front office. Well, twenty eighth on this list. Twenty eight out of thirty. Wow. And sometimes it's kind of fun to get a national perspective on we're in the weeds locally and sometimes – and I think sometimes national, maybe most often national perspectives can be incorrect or skewed. Sure. Uh, I remember the Vikings last year, Vegas and the national – I think the Vikings became trendier as the year went along, but Vegas kind of undervalued the Vikings, and we all knew locally this defense is a force. Uh, Adrian Peterson's going to be back, and Bridgewater's going to be better. And so sometimes you have a better feel locally than you would nationally. In this case, I think the national perception is spot on from Sporting News. I'm going to read you this. Tell me if there's anything in this that you would call incorrect about the third-to-last-ranked Twins front office. This is what happens when you believe in your win-loss record instead of paying attention to the underlying numbers 
when you go about trying to build for the following season. It's also what happens when you commit dollars and terms to Phil Hughes, Ricky Nolasco, and Irvin Santana with expectations that they'll be staff leaders. Meanwhile, the products of a once ballyhooed farm system have largely failed to deliver, casting player development into question. Fun times. End of write-up. Huh. Well, I would just say the only thing that I have a minor gripe with, I mean, I, I can't disagree with anything written there. But the prospect angle is interesting. I, th- I think you could definitely call into question maybe the, like the drafting process, but there really aren't any players. I, I, and I'm as I'm saying this, I'm trying to cast my memory back three, four, five years and think, man, is there anyone that I thought was going to be significantly better? I guess Arcia is the best example. Oswaldo Arcia, I see with a higher ceiling than he's currently performing at. But otherwise, it's not like I saw Kenny's Vargas pop up and thought, oh, the Twins just found their first base DH for the next 10 years. I knew Vargas was a flawed player. Well, I think you can go back further, though. I think, sure. I think Kyle Gibson, first-round pick, top 15 pick. Yeah, but ground ball guy who couldn't strike anybody out. But well, he struck out guys in the minor leagues and had... Not to ace level, is, is all I'm saying. So it's like a minor nitpick. But I'm not even saying, like, ace level was the expectation. At sure. this point, he's... Not even he's borderline rotation level, right? For much of uh, much of his career, to be honest, he had a couple seasons where he's kind of a number four guy, uh, you know, innings eating type of a guy. Brian Dozier at this point. Now, when you drafted him in the eighth round, you didn't think, oh, Brian Dozier is going to wind up being a superstar player. But we've seen the upside of Brian Dozier, and then we've seen most of the past twelve months where he's borderline unplayable. Um. I mean, you could flip this around and say which players internally grown have panned out in the last five or six years or even going further back than that, seven, eight, nine years since the Justin Morneau, Michael Kadire crop kind of left you. Name guys from that crop that have really panned out to be right. not even star players, but just real good, reliable, serviceable players for you. Right. Trevor Plouffe, I think, you know, Struggling so far this season, but I, Trevor Plouffe had a nice little two or three year run. But for a team that was once highly, highly reliant on developing, drafting, international free agents, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. and building these cores from within, that's gotten away. That's the, that's the one thing they hung their hat on early on, early two thousands, late nineties into the early two thousands. Yeah. And it's tough to hang your hat on that right, right. now. Well, so I didn't follow the early 2000s Twins very closely. I mean, I was, I was fairly young. My sort of Twins recollection memory goes to about 2005, I'll say. I mean, I'm familiar with those other teams now, and just as I'm familiar with the 87 and 91 championship teams, despite the fact that I was like six months old when the Twins won in 91. But... The 2003 and on, I'll, I'll call that a, a Twins-like era kind of thing. Now, it changes the picture a little bit when you get supremely lucky and land a Johan Santana. When you fleece uh, this apparently the organization that now employs the second-best GM, according to Jesse Spector. Um, when you fleece the Giants in the Pierzynski trade and wind up with Nathan Liriano... Lest we forget, Boof Bonzer. Bonzer. Yeah. I believe that was Brian Sabian at the time too. I think I okay. think both GMs were still in place. So my my only point is that maybe the 
changes in the past 10 years are more more superficial than we give them credit for. They're more just surface-level stuff of, well, if you got super lucky and had a Joe Nathan at the back end of your bullpen and a Liriano to power rotation for, for spurts, obviously he wasn't a consistent dominant force, but it changes the picture. If the, tw- if the Twins had a homegrown ace right now, if Kyle Gibson was Madison Bumgarner, I think you'd think differently about well, well, these teams. Well, of, course. of course we would. But, but the, I think the question is, what are other teams doing? Sure. Especially pitching is a great example because this is you got to go back 25 years to find league ERAs as low as we're seeing right now. You got to go pre-steroid era, late 80s, early 90s to find league ERAs below four. Mm-hmm. I think this year it's like 410, but there's still a half season to go. Yeah. And pitchers start to ramp up a lot in June, July, August if you just look traditionally. And and pit, you've got flamethrowers, top of the rotation guys sub three earned run averages in starting rotations two times over for each roster on average. I mean, you've got you've got twenty five year old ace caliber pitchers growing on trees left and right everywhere except the Twin Cities apparently. Hmm. And so my my question is what is the process and I don't know the answer to this, what is the process for the Cardinals, for the Giants, when yeah. you look at some of these these guys who come up and they're just lights out and whether you uh, grow them yourselves or whether you wind up making a trade for them or sign them, the Twins haven't been able to get their hands on any of them Agreed. since Johan Santana and Francisco Liriano 10 years ago. Agreed. What is the process by which other teams are getting these guys and the Twins continually whiff and have low starter strikeout rates yeah. and highest ERA in the American League or uh, or at least bottom five? Right, yeah. And uh, these are sort of rhetorical questions, but... I don't think the answer is luck. I mean, there's there's a certain amount of luck in drafting pitchers, and like Kyle Gibson had Tommy John surgery after his first couple of years in the minor leagues. So, but half the pitchers in baseball have Tommy John surgery, and then you just sort of deal with that. It's 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 no different for the Twins than any other team. Right. Uh, some luck does play into it, and I'm mostly playing devil's advocate in the idea that mm, maybe their player development system hasn't changed, and it's it's. For whatever reason, right now it hasn't borne fruits. But like, there aren't many prospects that I looked at and said, "Boy, that guy has not been what I thought he was going to be." I, I projected a much higher ceiling for that guy coming up through the minor leagues than than he's amounted to. Um, and on the pitching side, maybe this is just my often rosy. Uh, when I see a player in the minor leagues, I, I do like to think of what his ceiling might be, not his, like, percentage chance of reaching that ceiling. I mean, that's just – that's kind of a scary conversation that's that's really hard to quantify. I, I think a lot of people are trying, and we're getting better at doing that. Not only what's his best case and his worst case scenario, and what is the percent range that he reaches either of those. I think that's a valuable conversation to have. I'm just not smart enough to have it. Sure. But I will say – you look at some of the pitching that is coming through now, and I think the staff could look a lot different. Now, there's a big problem that they committed big money to these bad pitchers, and I'll get it. I'll give you a depressing stat. You remember our depressing Twins stats game from last week? I've got another much more depressing one for you in a second. But if it weren't for those big, ugly contracts, I mean, you've got a rotation that could be built around. This is just spitballing, but like in the second half of next year, could you see a rotation that goes J.O. Barreos, Trevor May, Cole Stewart, Tyler Duffy, fill in the blank? 
or whatever. Kyle Gibson mm-hmm. is your five. And there you go. That's a. It's still not a top heavy because I st- I don't think Barrios is Madison Bumgarner or or Granky or Kershaw or whatever. He's not Jake Arrieta, but he could be a solid top of the rotation compared with the other options that the Twins have. Now here's the depressing part. You can't just wipe the slate clean and say. Oh, yeah. Well, fine. We've got some young horses coming up that I think will be pretty good. Perfect. Plug them into the rotation. I wrote a piece over the weekend, Phil, on 1500ESPN.com about Terry Ryan's pretty terrible track record in terms of signing free agent starting pitchers since he took back over the Twins. And you actually gave me the idea for this column, whether you know it or not. We, we met, you mentioned it on a podcast. These are the six starting pitchers that Ryan has signed, and look how they've turned out. Jason Marquise, Kevin Correa, Mike Pelfrey, and then the three current ones. Yeah. Well, and real quick before you pay this off, yes, the, I'll never forget when Terry Ryan came back and the first move of the offseason, he made a couple moves leading into that 2012 season, and Jason Marquis was one of them. And I remember even on the radio four years ago saying, in the National League, he has a four-and-a-half ERA over the course of ten years. Yeah. And then Kevin Correa was the same exact story a year later on a two-year contract. Yeah. So you've got you've got an established track record of mediocre to poor performance in the easier league to perform in as a pitcher. Yeah. Why are you paying more than league minimum for that production? Right. Why are, there's no reason to pay three million dollars, even if he stays the whole season. You wound up paying him for like six weeks, and yeah. then and then he had an eight and a half ERA, and you bounced him out as you should have, because mm-hmm. don't compound one mistake by keeping a guy on the roster. But why are you paying? $10 million over two years for Kevin Correa when you could just pick the next Scott Diamond from your minor league system. Yeah. If you're not ready to compete, that's fine. Maybe save that money. I don't know how that works with the poll ads if they're willing to roll over. Oh, you did spend $10 million this year. Roll it over in the, into the next year. My guess is no based on uh, the last five or six years. But but that, like, even on a smaller scale, that bothered me five or six years ago. For you're sure. lighting this money on fire for no reason when you can just find a replacement-level pitcher for $500,000. Why Spend it did on something else? Why did like get some new nicer TVs in the in the suites or something like that? Or like you know that, or uh, or go get uh, a seventh or eighth inning guy, which sure. might maybe maybe that would help you more. Spending three million dollars on a seventh inning guy, paired with replaceable starting pitcher mm-hmm. or five hundred thousand dollar minimum wage starting pitcher. Right. So if you're if you're hearing this, you kind of know where this is headed. Um, speaking of. Not spending your money wisely. Just talking about free agent starting pitchers here. And I am avoiding guys like Sam DeDuno, who was signed as a reliever, by the way, on a minor league contract. And it's just through coincidence that he found his way to the starting rotation and ended up making a lot of starts for the Twins over a couple of years. I'm talking about free agent starting pitchers signed to major league contracts expected to be in the rotation, like written in the rotation in the winter. It's an embarrassing track record. Uh, doing some of the math, and I won't, I'll spare you the numbers and everything like that, if you'll trust my hand computation. So far, and there's still some money left on some of these contracts, but so far, R- Ryan spent about $85.5 million for 1,550 innings of a 4.75 ERA. Oh, my God. And okay. That sounds bad, right? We we all think, oh, four seven five. That's a guy who's like borderline should be kicked out of the rotation. That's and, terrible. That's bad in the in the steroid era. Yeah, and, and you'd be right. Over the time that those contracts have been paid out, 
the American League average is about 4.04. So, so it's almost a full run higher than the American League average yeah. for how much? $85 million? $85.5 million flushed down the toilet. And and worse than that, because it was flushed down the toilet, and then you also had to then dig fish around in the toilet with your hand, take uh, that money out, air dry it, wring it out, and then and then use that money. Yeah. So it's it's worse than just losing the money. If the money's just gone, hey, it's gone. God. But now you're spending toilet money, and that's what the twins are having to do. Irvin Santana, I think that you could argue that contract could still work out. But Phil Hughes is going to miss some significant time with this fractured femur. It's a small crack in his femur, but it's a fractured femur. And he's getting a $4 million raise next season, right. no matter what happens, yeah. whether he comes back or not. And even before the injury, because injuries happen to everybody, most teams are smart enough to get the big contracts insured, I would say that it wasn't going well. Obviously, last year was bad for Phil Hughes. And then this year, he was so bad that he got bounced from the starting rotation and replaced by Pat Dean. And I'm... This is not to disparage Pat Dean, but I think that there's a certain ceiling on certain pitchers, and Pat Dean has that. He he has he just has a ceiling. It's the way that baseball well, he's works. Just like he's just a guy. He's just a guy. And Meanwhile, got so many of those guys were just all right. You can just you can swap out Pat Dean for Scott Diamond for about fourteen other the, the same type of pitchers the right. last five or six years. And you shouldn't be replacing someone like Phil Hughes with a guy. Especially when you consider that after this season, no matter what he does for the rest of the year, Phil Hughes has three years and about $40 million left on his contract. Now, that's that's really hamstringing the Twins. Um, the worst contract, of course, was Ricky Nolasco. He's just got one year and 12 after this, and then you pay him a $1 million buyout to go away um, if he's not already off your books via trade by then. Um, but that, I think, people ask, Almost on a weekly basis, I'm sure they ask you all the time, whether it's in emails or tweets, in person, whatever, call-ins to your radio show, I'm sure. What's the single biggest problem with the Twins? And this year it's hard to point to. They play bad defensively most nights, uh, or at least compared to what you'd expect. They hadn't scored enough runs up until recently. Now they're starting to, t- to turn it up a little bit. The bullpen's been bad and blown a lot of games, and they stubbornly stuck by Kevin Jepsen for six weeks. Which is an, a micro thing that just didn't matter anyways at that point. It was, sure. The season was over at 0-9, and, sure. and you probably could have won a couple of those close games early to make it more like 3-6 and six and not quite as terrible, Sure, and then recover, but your bullpen was shot by then. And- the, bull, the bullpen's done. The bullpen's been bad, but the number one biggest problem is that your starting staff is terrible, and you don't really see a way in which it can get a lot better. Right, I, I think I like Tyler Duffy. He's a fine back-end starter. I think that'll work out okay. Kyle Gibson, he's back healthy. I could see him performing much better than we've seen him this year. In fact, I, I did think he would take a step forward this season. So there's two guys. See, you're, but right there, even in that, and I'm not, I know you're just spitballing here, but you're doing what the Twins often do going into the season and what they were just criticized for in this aforementioned Sporting News column, which is, well, I could see this good thing happening, and I could totally see that good thing happening. Right. I could see these two good things over here happening, and, well, what if this good thing over here happens? Byron Buxton clicks. But I think the great – it's the – it's. I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast or if this was on a radio show. Uh, I'm reading this Bob Knight book called The Power of Negative Thinking. It's kind of a it's kind of a mock and a playoff of the power of positive thinking. Bob Knight, the coach. Yes, Bob okay. Knight, the, the, the famous college basketball coach. And now author, apparently. Yeah, he wrote this sometime in the last 10 years okay. or so. And the premise of the book is 
great people and great leaders, great coaches, whatever it is, great GMs, great CEOs are never Pollyanna obliviously just expecting all positive things to happen. Mm -hmm. You generally achieve greatness by planning for the bad things to happen so that if they happen, you're still fine. All right, if if we get into this basketball game and we don't have our three-point shot, are we just going to lose? No, how do we win this game even though we can't shoot today? Yeah. How do we improve on an 83-win season if Glenn Perkins, for the third straight season, and by the way, I think at this point, he told us on our radio show the other day that he feels a piercing pain when he pitches on, mm-hmm. on a mound. I think he's out for the season. That's just my thought. The Twins go into these seasons, and they've done it far too many times, especially this year, expecting all of these things to just turn out positively and not planning and bracing for the worst. Mm -hmm. And they were right going into the year. They were right. If all of these things happen, if Perkins is healthy, if Buxton clicked, if Barrios clicked right away, if Miguel Sano was healthy and didn't go through a sophomore slump of some kind, and I could name 10 other things, yeah, you would have won 90 games and you would have made the playoffs and it would have been great. It would have been a ton of fun. But why why are you hanging your hat on all 15 of those things to turn out positively? Mm-hmm. You have to expect for at least half those to turn out negatively and then build the rest of your team like you and I talked about the bullpen thing last week. Yeah, Build your bullpen to be playoff caliber without Glenn Perkins. Mm-hmm. And then if Glenn Perkins is healthy, now guess what? And now it's on. Yeah, I mean, now, it's, now you've got a bridge to the third inning if you want to. Like, right. But, that's an exaggeration, but you know what I'm saying. The, I mean, that's a, uh, for anyone who's read George Orwell's 1984, the sort of like the Big Brother book, uh, that kind of thing, painting sort of a scary picture of what the future might look like, blah, 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 blah. The point I was going to make is that if your bullpen without Perkins is good and then Perkins is there, your bullpen becomes double plus good. Yeah. So for the two people that got that reference, um, I, and I said that all winter. That's not, well, Perkins is hurt now. You should have sure. planned for that. I said that in November. I said, I, you can, I'm sure you can dig up podcasts wherein I said, the bullpen is skeptical and you can address it. It's within your control, within your power to make this better. They didn't. And, you know, you could see some nice relievers potentially panning out with all that stuff. But uh, that's why, you know, the other thing that, and and I'm trying to argue against myself here that I wasn't Pollyanna about this because I when everyone locally was talking about 83 wins, Molitor improved him by 13 wins last year. How many more can he improve him by this year? And are they a playoff team? And I, I said they're not a playoff team yet. They have the potential to be if things go well. I believe but, you said somewhere between 50 and 110 wins was your range. And now, now I'm starting to sweat that a little I, bit. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> are, they, are they on pace? Are they won yeah. a couple games here. They are. They're they, 20 and 43, right? They're on pace. Or it's like around the 60-win mark. But I think what I said was like God. 55 wins to whatever, 126. I think I said 73 on this podcast. I think I said 73 to like 95 or something. And I'm going to be way off on yeah, that. That ain't going to happen. <laughs> so I missed the goalpost. I'm Blair Walsh on that kick. Wow. Yeah. I so yeah. I mean, there's a lot that you should be contingency planning for that the Twins haven't done, um, and it blew up in their face worse than anybody could have possibly imagined. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, even the most negative and cynical among us would not have said that all of these things would have gone wrong. But to circle back and tie a pretty bow on my previous point. 
if the starting pitching was great, you get to overcome a lot of mistakes, a lot of team planning mistakes. The Giants, as an example earlier, when you have Matt Cain, uh, Madison Bumgarner, you know, when, when things just work out for your starting rotation so nicely, it's pretty cool the factors that you can overcome of, sure. well, we don't score a lot of runs, or, well, See, we get zero offense from our second baseman, but... I think there's one, one important thing to note when you're not a top seven, eight, nine market revenue team. When, you're, when you take away the Dodgers and the Red Sox and New York, take away the big markets, the Bay Area, and those are the teams in a non-salary cap league that have two logical and reasonable avenues to acquire, well, three, because trading is always going to be one, to acquire top ace caliber starting pitchers, draft and develop, or international free agent signing. It's all in one bin. They can also go and spend money on John Lester. They can go spend money on David Price, the Red Sox, Masahiro Tanaka, New York. You're not going to sit down when the Yankees have four times as many poker chips as you and and come over the top. Like they're going to call and they're going to go. They're, oh, oh, you want to pay more for David Price? I guess we'll just throw an extra twenty million on top with the Red Sox. So it's not reasonable to suggest. And once in a while, you get a team like the Diamondbacks that goes out and pays thirty million a year for Zach Greinke. I get that, but that's not a frequent, realistic way to acquire a starting pitcher. If you're a mid to low market team, you're very rarely, unless you develop like two or three guys at once and they all come up, you're very rarely going to have a staff of aces or three guys like the A's had back in the early 2000s sure. where they just these guys came up kind of at the same time. You have to plan to not have that. If you're the Royals, they didn't have Johnny Cueto was acquired at the trade deadline. They didn't they've never had lights out three lights out starting pitchers in this run. The Cardinals, uh, they develop Wainwright, and they've but but a lot of those pitchers like the Jaime Garcias, those aren't lights out guys. Those are ground ball pitchers with great defense, great infrastructure. My point is, if you're a mid to low market team, the other things around those pitchers have to be great to make the pitchers better to yeah. elevate their performance. So if if you know that you're a mid market team and you're going to go in and maybe Barrios is an ace, but let's be honest, we're just trying to put together a bunch of number three, number four guys. And the Twins of Hell, they've done this before with with Joe Mays and with Brad Radke and those guys 15 years ago. And the reason Joe Mays was so good is because he had Christian Guzman at shortstop going goalpost to goalpost on every ground ball, Corey Kosky at third base, and three center fielders playing on Astrodome surface out there. Mm -hmm. Everything that was hit was fielded and turned anyone out. So they've, got the, they've compounded the problem here philosophically by not having a great starting rotation, which I'm actually I'm okay with that. I, I don't think it's – you're not going to have one through five lights out. Okay, you know that. So why do you have Miguel Sano in right field, and now you got Arcia over here? And why is your bullpen bridge so weak? Go build those things. Mm -hmm. Prop up your starting pitching staff like the Royals have, like the Cardinals do. These are philosophical things. I can't decide if they're just incapable of seeing this or if they do see it, but they just run into issues or if we're just I, – I don't know why they don't see some of these angles. Yeah. Well, and I – here's my – 30,000 foot view of sort of sports media and like we are here sort of I'll, I'll argue we're here largely to be entertaining I think a lot of people say well sports media is mostly about information and it is to some extent there is the information avenue but I have a really hard time wrestling with the concept that sports matters so much that there needs to be this entire 
wing of media devo- devoted to getting that information out. Like the U.S. government needs that. We need watchdogs covering politics sure. who are there to get information out, whether it's fun and funny to be a part of or not. Sports media is different. I I just have this. My core belief is that sports media is about being fun and engaging and and interesting because it's what people do on their free time to whether you're getting away from the rest of life or it's just a something that you find enjoyable sure, yeah. and entertaining. Are, are we on the same page there? You and I are philosophically aligned for the most part. I do think there has to be some checks and balances when you're talking about multi-billion dollar entities sure. and fans who are paying a lot of money for these things, sure. both via taxes and just on their own entertainment time. So I think there has, but not to the degree of politics. For the most part, political the obligation of political media is more to keep people in check and hold people accountable. Yeah. I think if there's a ratio of of entertainment to information in sports media, it should be more like 80-20 okay. or 75-25. Right. Is that so fair? Pareto's inefficiency of sports media <laughs> and entertainment. Now, this has been mostly like this hasn't been this is entertaining if you want to rip on the twins for the last 45 minutes. Yeah, although that. here's our problem. I was I'm just going to buzz say, Killington on this podcast. We, I was going to say we're neither entertaining nor informative, so we're, we're really just, just missing the boat. Yeah, we're just ripping right yeah. now. <laughs> My point with all of that is that two people who host a podcast from their mother's basement like we do, and in this case it's actually uh, our uncle's basement, Uncle Stanley. Uncle Stan Hubbard. One of his conference rooms upstairs right now. So we're sitting here with just some podcast mics and analyzing the twins, and you know we're we're plugged in. I mean, we we pay attention and we follow this stuff closely. But I would argue, and sorry for the derogatory, disparaging comment here, Phil. Neither of us is anything special. Like we're just two guys who like baseball and pay attention to the twins, and and we study and things like that, and uh, you know we'll we'll look and try to evaluate things for our own. But for the most, I mean, we're we're no different than most of the people listening to this podcast. Mm -hmm. So here's my gripe. We're much better looking than most people who listen to the podcast. Speak for yourself. (laughs) Here is my gripe, then. Two people who host a podcast and are in an entertainment business designed to to cover and portray events of the team, namely the twins in this case, should not have a better beat on some of these things than the people who are actually employed full-time to run those teams. We shouldn't have a better idea of, man, the Twins are not taking their bullpen seriously enough. Or, man, that's a lot of money to spend on a starting rotation that's not going to be very good. Or, man, you're counting on a lot of young players and a lot of good breaks. My my point is in an entertainment industry, we shouldn't be better at doing that than the Twins right. front office. And I hate even insinuating, well, I could I could see that coming from a mile away because I hate that guy in this business too. Sure. Well, I could do that. No. I, there's zero chance that, that anyone in this business right. could do that. I so, am not fit to run a major league team, and I right. would never pretend to be. I think there should be a much more demonstrable gap in the Twins' ability to do that and the people employed to do that. Um, we, we shouldn't be able to first guess mistakes that they're making as regularly as you and I have done on this podcast. And and that's not to puff out my own chest and say, well, look, we've got a great track right, record. Because you're super scrawny, too. So right, like, exactly. even if you were puffing out your chest, no one would know. <laughs> no, I'm wearing an inflatable vest, actually. I hope you couldn't <laughs> tell. My my only this this overarching point is that for someone who's nothing special, admittedly, I am just a person who follows baseball. 
I shouldn't be able to point to this mistake and be like, I should be way overmatched in this arena is what I'm saying. And I'm, I've sort of felt over the lifespan of this podcast, like we're not really overmatched. Like we're kind of pointing out a lot of things that the twins have done poorly in the last year and a half that we've been doing this podcast. It should be much less regular that we say, well, that's probably a mistake. Let's see how it turns out for him. And it turns out that we're right. That, that My point is that shouldn't happen, mm-hmm. and it has been happening. It's true, man. You know, the, the biggest indictment, and I, there are so many other things we were going to dive into here, but we could, there's a lot of things we could just – we could dive into Byron Buxton. Any, uh, he's going to be around. In fact, real quick, before I make my final point on this Twins front office thing, um, I'm tuning into Twins games very selectively now. I'm not devoting three hours every single night like I would if they were interesting. Mm-hmm. Because at this point, I'm checking in to see what's relevant for 2017. Sure. I, if, if they, they have, they've had six years since their last division title to sort of get back on their feet. Five years since they fired Bill Smith. Get back on their feet, put this thing together, and this is kind of what they have to show for it, which is 20 and 43 at the time of this. So it's nice outside... I'm not going to be glued to my TV until the Twins give me a reason to be completely glued to my TV. But the things I am interested in are things that apply beyond 2016. Byron Buxton, Max Kepler, there's plenty of those on the roster right now. I would even say Joe Maurer and Brian Dozier, who, if you're going to compete next year, those guys have to continue to perform. At least Maurer has to continue to perform, and Dozier has to start performing. But the one last thing I'll say about the Twins front office is the biggest indictment of them this season in particular is this organization went into the year planning on winning like 90 games. Unless they were just blowing smoke to the public, their goal was not to bounce back a little bit or or, or, or um, regress a little bit from where they were last year and load up for 2017. It was build off of what you did last year and go win like 85 or 90 games and yeah. compete with the Royals and compete with the other teams in the American League. In spring training, everyone was talking playoffs Yeah, within the organization. It wasn't like, say, uh, the Gopher men's basketball team where everyone kind of knew it was going to be a down year and everyone was bracing for a down year, and then it was just an epically atrocious down year. And yeah. It was everyone but, of course, Vegas nailed this, but, but the rhetoric coming out of Target Field was this is a year to build off of what happened last year. The gap between what they planned on happening and what has happened so far is such a massive indictment after five or six years mm-hmm. since they last went to the playoffs of building this thing back yeah, up. It's indescribably bad, and uh, this was me this winter um, when everyone was talking about the big step forward they'll take from 83 wins, and I said, well, maybe. It's possible. Rosario could be great, and Sano could be just MVP caliber kind of hitter, and that carries the lineup, and Byung-Ho Park might be a surprise awesome hitter. Um, well, that's possible, but it's also possible that they take a step backwards. Yeah. And I'm not trying to say I predicted this. I definitely didn't. But I said, just remember, they won 83 games last year, not 93. Let's stop treating this team like it's a cakewalk to the World Series um, we, we tended to get a little runaway excited about this team, I think. Locally, I think there was a lot of people. Um, and media is just as guilty, too. We kind of uh, got carried away with where that might go. said, this team won four games more than it lost last year. And out of – so this season will be a disaster no matter what happens the rest of the way. So you can safely say that five out of the last six seasons have been a disaster – and the one non-disaster season was a basically 500 season. 
that's bad. That, that there's not any makeup or lipstick that you can put on that pig to make it look better. When when you say, well, they were making progress in the right direction, or as I've contended, well, but they've got kind of a loaded farm system and just wait until those guys are kind of the ones manning the positions. A lot of those guys have kind of come up, and they're a little bit. There's like Jorge Polanco. What mm-hmm. what's his status right now? He's hitting yeah. 320 down in Rochester. We don't know. He's just. Right. He's just in Rochester mashing for a major league team that's 25 games below 500. Mm. JT Shagwa gets ripped in his first outing and immediately. Little nervous, gets... best lineup in baseball. David Ortiz, your yeah. heart's pounding. All and, right, let's. And no slider sucked. to speak of. Yeah, but... well, that sucked a little bit, but he, he goes back right away. Right. Like, doesn't even get a second outing. I'm a little surprised by that. Uh, but then again, I guess I should stop being surprised by things. I, I think your obligation now is to play for 2017. You should already be on the phone trying to shop players and move them before the trade deadline. Uh, People ask me, well, what difference does it make if they trade them now or later? Well, if a contending team needs, let's say, a third baseman or whatever, let's say someone wants Kevin Jepsen, I mean, they're going to get more out of him just by sheer math if he's on their team now than if he's on their team on August 1st, this year's trade deadline. Well, are you going to get a ton for him? No, probably not. But I, my my only – you say you're watching for the future. I am too. I mean, I, I still watch all the games and stuff like that because I feel like I have to. But I'm mostly interested in that stuff. And beyond just that, beyond me watching for Max Kepler's evolution or Byron Buxton or – you know, how is this Nunez, Escobar, Polanco dynamic going to play out? Beyond just watching all that stuff, I'm also watching how is the team preparing itself for that. Um, the answers aren't immediately clear, but I think they'll start to become clear in the next, obviously, five or six weeks. That's the thing that I'm most intrigued about for the rest of the season. And then the secondary things like, okay, when's Barreos back? How is he going to perform a second time around? Um Will Buxton continue to progress forward and really look like he can be a stalwart in the lineup next year? There, there are still things to watch for, but man, they're a lot less interesting yeah. than we thought they were going to be this spring. So, what what I want to see, whether it's this year or into next year, whether it's this front office or the Twins do something they haven't done really ever in thirty years, which is blow it all out and and find some new people to run the front office. I want to see a big picture blueprint and identity on the field. I want to see. I want to know when I when I when I list teams for you, you can you can give me five words or less that would describe, or maybe even a word that would describe each of these teams. Red Sox, potent lineup, uh, and there's other things too. You might say uh, Kansas City Royals, outfield defense, and bullpen. Sure, and bullpen. Uh, that's how you win a World Series. That's, that's four words. It's true. That's fewer than five. St. Louis Cardinals. I'll give you an obscure one. Well, drafting and development, but ground ball pitching staff. Mm-hmm. No team has induced more ground balls than the St. Louis Cardinals over the past seven or eight years. That's not a coincidence. They know yeah. that ground balls do the least amount of damage, and so let's go find guys with downward movement with sync. Um, and then maybe maybe uh, you know, pick another team like the Orioles. You covered the Orioles. Bullpen. And power. Bullpen Lots and power. Of it. So w- when I described the Twins to people 15 years ago, it would have been defense, defense, defense. That was the Twins. 
what are the Twins now? What do you want to be? Because it certainly isn't bullpen. Mm-hmm. It's not starting pitching, which you could list about five teams that would say starting pitching. San Francisco Giants, starting pitching. Uh, Dodgers traditionally, well, money would be the first thing you sure. think with the Dodgers. <laughs> sure. What do you want to be? What's your one-sentence elevator pitch? You're a startup company. You're getting into an elevator, and someone says, describe your company. We have 20 seconds. How do you do that in two sentences? I don't know how to describe the twins in two sentences besides derogatory things and right. and fire emojis. Mean tweets. <laughs> right, exactly. Stay tuned for 60-second AP News headlines. Call of Duty Modern Warfare is here, and so is Mountain Dew. Roger that. Now you can unlock in-game rewards like only Dew can. Wait, what rewards? A Dew Operator skin. Man, I love Operator skins. Dual double XP, and even Call of Duty points. You're kidding me. Double XP and Call of Duty points? This is incredible. I can't believe it. Soldier, get a hold of yourself. Oh, roger that. Look for specially marked packaging and visit mtndugaming.com for details and restrictions. Open to U.S. residents 17 plus. College duty points available on 12 and 24 packs and 3 20 23.